Hello and welcome. You're listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. Hello and welcome to episode 424 of Writers Aloud. In this episode, the second of a two-part interview, Gwyneth Lewis speaks with John Greening about being the first national poet of Wales, attempting to sail from Cardiff to Brazil, her experience of severe depression, the joy and challenge of finding out what you mean in both poetry and prose, and her desire always to be trying new techniques in her writing. You can hear the first part of this interview in our preceding episode, number 423. We rejoin Gwyneth and John as they discuss what happened after the publication of her collection, Keeping Mum. Gwyneth Lewis is author of eight collections of poetry in both Welsh and English. Having studied at Cambridge and undertaken research at Oxford on 18th century literary forgery, she became a journalist and producer with BBC Wales. An experienced broadcaster, she's written for television and radio. She's also composed libretti for Welsh National Opera and her Clytemnestra was commissioned by the Sherman Theatre. Her non-fiction includes Sunbathing in the Rain, a cheerful book on depression, heard on Radio 4 and winner of an award for mental health writing, and Two on a Boat, about the stresses and strains put on a marriage during a remarkable voyage in a temperamental yacht. She's now a freelance writer based in Cardiff, her native city, but has also lived in America as a graduate student at Columbia, on fellowships at Harvard and Stanford, and teaching at Princeton and in Vermont. Following Parables and Faxes in 1995, her next poetry collections in English were Zero Gravity, inspired by an astral cousin, and Keeping Mum. Both were Poetry Book Society recommendations, and Zero Gravity was shortlisted for the Ford Prize. These were all collected and published by Bloodaxe as Chaotic Angels in 2005. The long poem A Hospital Odyssey followed in 2010 and Sparrow Tree the year after. Recipient of many awards, notably a Gregory and a Chumley for services to poetry, the Oldborough and Roland Mathias Prizes and the Crown at the National Eisteddfod, Gwyneth Lewis also became the very first national poet of Wales. Her words appear in Welsh and English on Cardiff's Millennium Centre in what may well be the largest poem in the world. In 2019, she was elected Honorary Fellow of Balliol College, Oxford. Gwyneth Lewis was RLF Fellow at the University of Swansea. Well, keeping mum, 2003. Then you became National Poet of Wales shortly after that, that collection. Did that change anything? I mean, a wonderful endorsement of your... It was a great honour. Um, did it change anything? Do you mean in terms of writing? Well, like when, when you hear, you know, when... People come poet laureate in Britain. They sort of suddenly. I think Andrew Motion was rather paralysed as a poet, wasn't he, by the experience of being poet laureate? It he, didn't have any effect like that on you. Well, I I was only a national poet for a year. Right. So because it was it was at the very beginning of it, it was very uncertain the the funding from year to year. Mm. You see, so I was lucky in my year because the Senedd, which is the Welsh Assembly. Mm building opened that year so there was a an opening ceremony and I got to write a poem for that and there had been big public occasions like there was a huge dispute about Welsh rugby the uh, Welsh rugby union and I wrote a poem which was read on 
all the news bulletins yeah. and I made them promise not to cut it anyway. And then the, the Welsh Rugby Union had to issue a press release against me saying mm. I was misguided in my opinions mm. and so on and so forth. But that was great fun. Mm. And it allowed me to do a poem which was actually speaking on behalf of people and to use the platform. But in a way, after that year, I had said publicly what I wanted to say. There, were an, mm. uh, there, was, a, there was a National Waterfront Museum opened in, in Swansea. There was a number of n- big national events. Yes. Yeah. And I felt I'd, that if I ha- did another year, that I would, not be, uh, that I would be repeating myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ideal then, really. Yeah. Yes. But um, I think it can be paralysing, mm. but I didn't do it long enough. No. For that to happen, uh, what I, what was great was people coming up to me saying, "Oh, you're the poet." Yeah. And one time when I was naked in the gym, which was uh, uh, delightful, I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Have and, you wrote about it? Well, no, of course not. <laughs> How could you? How could you? No, that would be very immodest. Um, and to see people's response and getting uh, letters from children—that to me was the thrilling thing. Mm. Between Keeping Mum and Hospital Odyssey, two memoirs, two in a boat and sunbathing in the rain. Uh, two in a boat. I mean, I just swept through that and so enjoyed it. You draw parallels throughout between the voyage and the relationship. Can you tell our listeners a bit about that? Well, yes, the relationship is with my husband, Leighton, mm. who's older than me and couldn't be more different from me, really. He's an ex-merchant seaman and... Uh, married to a poet and we decided we wanted to go sailing so we learned we learned to sail and set off from Cardiff aiming for Brazil but it was actually we had quite a tempestuous time to say the least of it Mm. and a story that turned quite dark I won't give it away perhaps but uh, it it turned quite dark when Leighton got ill Mm. but for a poet it was a fantastic opportunity to educate myself in a whole new vocabulary of the mm. sea you know because mm. you have to you can't you can't use the wrong language yeah. if you're making a mayday call you yeah. you have to be able, you know you have to know what you're doing so is the, that excitement comes across reading it the excitement of not discovering the sea and sailing but the vocabulary the language yes. of it. <laughs> and the parallels like depressions you know, in, in the weather but also feeling depressed yourself and and not imagery and things like that. Which, yes, which are, it's so, a gift, the, isn't it? It is a gift, yeah. and I'd really recommend it to, to anybody. It's a wonderful read and a glorious diving finale uh, yeah. as well. And then Sunbathing in the Rain came came soon after, I think. No, no, Sunbathing in well, the Rain was before. Oh, it must be a ratio I've been reading. Yeah. Uh, yes, right. And that's that's slightly different. That's a sort of handbook as well as other things, isn't it? Yes, it, it was an account. Uh, sunbathing in the Rain was an account of a... An ep- a severe episode of depression which kept me off work for a year, more or less. And um, as I was coming out of it, at that time, I mean, there are many good books about depression now, but at that time there were very few, uh, with some exceptions. And also, I, because my concentration was shot, I wanted to write a book in short sections that a, a depressed person recovering could read in short bites. I see. So I decided, right, well, if I'm going to talk about depression, I've got to tell my story. And But also, I wanted to pass on some basic strategies that I'd found for making the whole process less painful, 
the main one of which is just accept it. You know, the the tendency uh, is to battle against the depression because nobody wants to give in to it. But actually, if you accept it for a while, unbearable though it is, you just you realise that it actually passes through you and that it's not going to kill you. So, yes, that, that was coming out of that then, having been so ill, the sailing seemed like a tonic. Well, it was a tonic. Yes. That's when we started so sailing. So that happened after, as I Yes. So somewhere in that book, there's an anecdote about you climbing out of the window as a toddler. Yes. Which seemed to come to represent many things. Yes, what, apparently what was uh, I was a, a very small and... Um, a neighbour phoned my mother or called round and said, quick, quick, your, your child is out on the windowsill of the bedroom. And the story is, I'm not sure what happened. It could be that I edged out. It could be that the neighbour was wrong and that I was still inside, but it looked as if the child was out. But in my mind, it happened and it's about actually being both subject and observer at the same time, which is what you do as a poet or as a, uh, any kind of writer. So you're, you're, it's a split consciousness, I think, which is thrilling but also potentially quite disturbing and dangerous because you could fall. Yeah. Mm. So it's a, a very rich um, metaphor there. But an extraordinary book. Uh, I say it's a kind of commonplace book as well as a collection of all these quotations and, and a book of criticism. You sort of take on uh, Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy. Even yes, point. I don't like that book. <laughs> no, really, Nobody else likes it, but uh, it's. <laughs> you me. dared to say you didn't like it. No, I've, I found it deeply depressing. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, do you enjoy writing prose as much as poetry? You imply that you do from what you always I do. Yeah, um, yeah. I find it easier than poetry. Yes. Uh, although. I think um, poetry is my native tongue. Mm. Um, and I also, I, I like, the battle to find out what you mean is a battle for clarity mm. in poems and in prose. Mm. And that's the struggle for mm. me. And that's hard work in either mm. poetry or prose. And you're working on a third volume of memoirs at the moment. Does that have a particular theme? Or you're not going to tell us? No, I'm not <laughs> going to talk about that one. Very, very wise. Yeah. And then Hospital Odyssey in 2010. Um, that was a, 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 seemed like a new departure, a long poem, which I've just finished reading. And it seemed oh, it's quite a lot to Edmund Spencer. Actually, I was reminded of the fairy queen. I reminded lots of other people's work. An extraordinary piece of work in five line stanzas. Did it start in that stanza? I mean, did, did this... When I was preparing to write the uh, Hospital Odyssey, I decided I had to find a stanza that would carry me some distance. So I tried uh, The Fairy Queen, it, you know, the, that's an eight-line... Spencerian stanza, yes. yeah. I tried that. I tried um, various other... Oh, Byron, Byronic, right, yeah, uh, Don Juan. Yeah. Yes, I tried all that's of them. That's Octavia Reaver, isn't it? Ron yes, Royal, as that's or right. Auden did. Yes, that's right, yeah. But uh, they seemed a bit too clunky yeah. for me, although I could technically do it. And I then st- uh, was reading François Villon, and I really liked the simplicity of his shorter verses. So I took that as my model, made it my own little stanza, and it took me, took me through. Yeah. 
Um, it was great fun. And did you have any idea it would turn into such a phantasmagoria as it did? Yes. You, you, you knew <laughs> you were going to open orgasm new gates and... I had been preparing for a while mm. for that. Mm. And, you know, I knew because I wanted to be so surreal that I would have to have a pretty tight stanza to carry me safely through. Mm. It was. I remember saying to Les Murray that I was working on a stanza and he said, yeah, well, you and I have both sat in a few stone jeeps. Because <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a couple of verse novels, didn't oh, he? Oh, <laughs> he did. And of course, that was one of the models. Yes. Uh, I admire that poem uh, hugely. Yes. Uh, Freddie Neptune. Freddie Neptune is, 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 is a wonderful work, yes. And it was adaptive for radio, wasn't it? Yes. How did that work? Well, I toyed with the idea of keeping the, the verse, but that wasn't... So you adapted it yourself? I did, yeah. yeah. Mm. And um, it, it was a bit of a poser how to do it. But we decided to break the form and just keep... The great thing about narrative poetry, and of course epic is different from lyric, your main motor is the story. It's not how you feel about your story, mm. even though that's there. Mm. So basically, you've got the plotting, mm. and that leads that you know it's like having a a thread to guide you through the maze, mm. and that and, and in narrative poetry is the plot. Mm. Yeah, I believe you wrote quite a bit of the long poem on Ackill Island, Bill's Cottage. Is that right? I did. Did you enjoy the isolation? Oh, I absolutely loved Ackill, yeah. as mm. I know you do. Mm, I did. Yeah. Um, extraordinary place. Mm. Yes, I made a little nest for myself in that office that yeah, you know yeah. and had a lot of postcards of Hieronymus Bosch oh, yeah. and uh, for the books that I yeah. knew I'd be writing when I was there. It's con- oh, yeah. conducive to a poetic sequence, that, that cottage. Then your most recent books uh, of poetry, Sparrow Tree, 2011, uh, strikingly different from... Mm. Well, it couldn't be more different from Hospital Odyssey. Lots of Short. <laughs> economy is the word. Yes, <laughs> that's right, short poems. Short. Um, I think I've done length now. Yes, uh, strikingly different. Um, and is there another collection on the way? Yes. And, you know, in, in a way, I, I'm, some poets seem to deepen one furrow as they go along. Mm-hmm. I get bored with doing the same thing, so I prefer to try something new technically, mm-hmm. which means that the, the gist of what you say has to, is different. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'm putting together a, a collection. After a long time, I've probably written enough poems for three collections <laughs> in the period between Sparrow Tree and the next one. But mm. I've changed so much in that period that I think they've become subs- you know, subsumed by other poems. Uh, and I want to write quite a few new ones. So, so. it's important you don't repeat yourself, essentially. You, you, you want each new book to be a step forward rather than just... I do, mm. but I don't think I get interested in different forms and mm. skills mm. and sounds. You know, very often the tone is so important in a poem. You know, once you get the tone right, and people don't talk about tone of voice so much, you know, as other things like uh, meter and rhyme and mm. story and so on. But the tone is the key, the tone of the Absolutely. speaker. Absolutely. As it is. Talking to a person. I mean, the tone of their voice tells you everything, isn't it, really? Yes. So in a, in a poem, it's crucial too. But but the meter and the rhyme then, if you've done it properly, mm. they are the stage directions. Ah. Which brings us neatly, because I haven't really talked to you about your experience of stage, and because and, uh, you've done a, so much 
and drama, and you've written libretti. Important to you, I, I, I assume. Yes, but uh, theatre is so difficult <laughs> because, again, you know, you you can't just have people up on stage spouting words. You actually have to have something happening, and that is surprisingly difficult. Mm. Although I love the collaborative aspect of performing the performing arts, um, so that that is like a little holiday uh, from you know being locked in a room counting syllables on on my hands you know N- not that I'm like that all the time but you know but the, but there is it is a nice corrective mm. but I have so much respect for for dramatists it's mm. uh, really hard mm. are there other genres that you've not explored that you want to well a full scale opera oh, nice. but uh, the opportunities to do those are very few and far between so um I, I mean, I enjoy writing for television as well. Mm. It's a theatrical skill mm. and a, a, a great exercise in bilingualism in the sense that you are using images and words together so that the one doesn't repeat the other. Mm. Have you done a television poem at all? This sort of, like this sort of t- Tony Harrison type of thing. Do you know, I thing. haven't. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, there we are. <laughs> I think that is a really difficult thing to pull off. Mm. What advice would you give to young poet? Oh, dear. Well, I'd say don't be put off. It is more possible than you think. And don't be put off by anybody or anything if that's what you have to do. But I would also say, look after yourself, because it's tough. Not only do you have the, the discipline of the art, which is, you know, to quote that uh, poem to the Makars, long and hard to learn. Uh, financially, it's very difficult. But what a joy. And uh, don't give up on it. And don't let anybody put you off. Well, it's been a joy talking to you, um, Gwyneth Lewis. Thank you very much. Thank you. I've, I've loved it. Thank you very much. That was Gwyneth Lewis in conversation with John Greening. You can find out more about Gwyneth on her website at GwynethLewis.com. And that concludes episode 424, which was recorded by John Greening and produced by Kona McPhee. Coming up in episode 425, we take a poetry break with Rebecca Watts and host Julia Copus. We hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. To subscribe to podcasts and to find out more about the work of the RLF, please visit our website at www.rlf.org. Thanks for listening.